The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average. Plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Too Much Information is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Too Much Information, the show that brings you the secret history and little-known fascinating facts about your favorite movies, music, TV shows, and more. We're two guys with too much free time on our hands. My name's Jordan Runtog. And I'm Alex Heigl. This episode is going to tackle uh, a beloved ageless classic, that is actually celebrating a significant milestone this year. So it does have an age, is what Yeah, you're it's very aged. We're talking about Dancing Queen by ABBA, which hit number one on the charts 45 years ago this April. Wow, 45. Oh, my God. I, I got to say, I, my, my college job was I spent summers as a, uh, as a DJ doing retirement parties and birthday <laughs> parties and weddings and stuff like that. And Dancing Queen is what I played when I screwed up. And I killed the dance floor. That was my song I would play as, you know, please come back. Please, like, we, we have, I have another hour and a half I'm getting paid for. Please come back to the floor. It is truly a, a, a ubiquitous, universally beloved, almost universally beloved song. And an early foreshadowing of that whole part of the world's dominance of all of pop music. In the, yeah, in, by the, the Swedish aughts. pop juggernaut, yeah. yeah. Well, in this episode, we'll try to explain why Swedes are so good at pop, which, as we'll get into, possibly involves working the engineers until they almost faint. We'll also touch on the lengthy writing process of this song, its long-lost verse, its debut before Scandinavian royalty, why it was banned in New York City, and how it inspired everyone from Blondie and Elvis Costello to Nirvana and MGMT. So get ready, here's everything you didn't know about ABBA's Dancing Queen. So to get to know the history of Dancing Queen, you have to know a little bit about the history of ABBA. And the chief songwriters were Benny Anderson and Bjorn Alvaeus, who, it's interesting to know, before they were in ABBA, they wrote for a porn. I, I guess that's probably really the only way you, you could put it. But before that, in the 60s, they were in sort of the Swedish equivalent of the Beatles and the Stones. Uh, Benny was in uh, a group called the Hep Stars. 
And they, he, he was a, basically a teen star. He's been writing pop songs since, since he was a teenager. I think he had three number one singles in, in Sweden in 1966 alone. And then the, the rival band that uh, Bjorn was in was called the Hootenanny Singers. They were sort of friendly <laughs> rivals. You could not program more stereotypical 60s names yeah, for these bands. This is like, you know, in, in uh, Spinal Tap. This is their Thamesman era. <laughs> exactly. exactly, yeah. But in 1969, the pair that would eventually be the songwriting team within ABBA wrote uh, the music for a Swedish softcore film that was titled Inga 2, The Seduction of Inga. Do I have to have seen the first Inga? No, I think you can follow it. Okay. I think it's pretty easy to follow. Um, the uh, the movie was R-rated, so it really, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a serious porn. <laughs> it, was, it was a comedic porn. Dilettantes. Right. <laughs> uh, the, the movie didn't perform well at the box office, and it was kind of a disappointing start to Bjorn and Benny's recording careers together. But the song, it's the, the main song from the movie, it's called She's My Kind of Girl, which is catchy. You should check it out on YouTube. was released in March of 1970, and it was, it was their first single together. And I think it became, to, uh, to borrow a phrase, a big hit in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the two B members of ABBA are not the only members with uh, an extensive history and music before the band got together. Um, Agnetha Faltskog, and please excuse our butchering of all of these people's names, um, she actually wrote her first song when she was six years old and an incredibly Swedish move named it Two Little Trolls. Um, <laughs> she was taking piano lessons by the age of eight, singing in the church choir, and formed an early trio called The Cambers at the age of 10 with two of her friends. Um, they, you know, did local Swedish stuff. They played around, <laughs> made meatballs, you know. Um, but eventually she actually was so into music that she dropped out of school at the age of 15 to pursue her career in pop. Now, the group that would become ABBA came together in the early 70s, and they were originally called Party People, uh, which, I mean, I don't know, kind of fits, right? Yeah. <laughs> they actually held a competition to determine the band's name, and they had Alibaba was an option, Fob, F-A-B-B, and Baba were all popular contenders. These are terrible names. Right. Well, in the end, I guess the results of the competition were completely disregarded, and they just went with ABBA, which, as everyone knows, is an acronym for the first letters of all four members' names. Agnetha Falskog, Bjorn Olveus, Benny Anderson, and Anna-Fried Ligstag. Ligstag? You wanna, uh, yeah, help me out yeah. with that? No, okay. Um, Swing and a miss. <laughs> And apparently ABBA are one of the only groups that have actually registered their name and logo with the copyright. I think KISS is one of the only other groups that, that come to mind for that. Yeah, they would have been a real frontrunner in that. I feel like the a lot of the, that's become very popular, especially with weirdly like punk bands is how they make a lot of money. Like Interesting. The, the, the Misfits Skull, the Black Flag Bars, like all of those have been trademarked and that's how those guys make a lot of money. But, you know, not back in the 70s. No, but in order to do so, ABBA had to get it cleared because the name ABBA in Sweden was a popular brand of pickled herring. So they actually had to license their name from a pickled herring company. Which, like, if your band name, and granted, they workshopped some truly awful band names. Yeah. So, so once they found one that kind of worked. They were like, they we have to do yeah, anything. We, yeah, we need to hold on to this. So ABBA are, are obviously famous for not only their music, but their insane, glitzy, rhinestone cowboy meets 
Russian gymnastics team crazy stage outfits. Those crazy stage outfits were actually for tax reasons. All their <laughs> their platform boots and their flared pants and all that instantly recognizable. But they chose those costumes because there's a Swedish tax law where you can write off costumes as long as they couldn't conceivably be classified as day wear. So they made their costume out of things that they would never ever wear in real life, which is a, a very canny financial move. It's genius. Yeah. I, I wish, I mean, just one of the, look, this whole episode could just be called Why Sweden is Better Than the United States. <laughs> but uh, in the 70s, they were huge. I'm supposed to say, how huge were they? <laughs> Sorry. How huge were they? They were Sweden's second biggest export in the 70s. They came second only to Volvo, the popular Swedish car manufacturer. Russia paid the royalties in oil commodities. Which is truly incredible. I mean, basically, the background to this is that currencies from Soviet states were embargoed during the Cold War. So they actually couldn't accept any money from their music being played in Soviet bloc countries in the form of rubles. So what they did was strike a deal in which they were paid their royalties in oil commodities. Highly lucrative. That's insane to me. I mean, first of all, their business mind, their, their prescience that they would do that and knowing what was going to happen to oil prices in the 70s. Maybe not knowing, maybe they looked into it, but good God, that's just insane to me. So yet another canny financial move from the folks in ABBA. And my favorite ABBA is huge factoid is more Australians watched ABBA's 1976 TV special than watched the moon landing. Granted, the TV special had better songs. Thank you very much. I wrote, I wrote Jordan that joke wrote that in the joke. outline. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, so in we talked a little bit in one of our episodes about Hook, about how Hollywood is one big family. And apparently the megastars of the, of the music world were, in the 70s, much the same. Because Led Zeppelin actually crossed paths with ABBA in the 70s because they were recording In Through the Outdoor, their, their last album, at uh, ABBA's studio. And, you know, as you, as you do, they ended up hanging out together. And so speaking to Louder Sound in 2015, Jimmy Page... <laughs> actually expressed his regret that he never got to meet Falchkog at the time because he said, I was rather hoping we were going to meet Agnetha, but that wasn't part of the deal. Ooh, the fact that he phrased it like that. I don't like that. Yeah, Transactional yeah. deal with yeah, Abba. Yeah, I don't like that at all. Exactly. Uh, Robert Plant has made a, a, a much funnier claim, which is that he went out and parted with them while they were in Sweden, and um, he claimed that he took the two male halves of Abba to a sex club, which... <laughs> Obviously, representatives from ABBA's team have always denied. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would they? Why would they say? Why would they cop to that? It would actually be much funnier if they were like very polite and very sweet. Oh, oh yes, oh, yeah. we went there. It was a lovely time. <laughs> we used our oral commodity money. And this brings us to finally the song "Dancing Queen." which drew its inspiration for some really unexpected places. They, uh, they borrowed pieces of George McRae's early 1974 disco hit, Rock Your Baby, uh, which was really a pioneering disco song. I mean, a couple years earlier than, you know, the songs that we normally think of as, as disco. And they added a, a, a rhythmic influence came from the drumming on the 1972 album Gumbo by Dr. John, which was a favorite of the ABBA session drummer, Roger Palm. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a serious, I mean, we think of ABBA as being this sort of lightweight pop machine, but that's, yeah. a, that's a great album. It's a and serious. super white. And like, like you think of ABBA as like these, you know, Swedish, extremely white kind of square music. And to be like, oh yeah, we, uh, we took it from like the most New Orleans guy ever. <laughs> like <laughs> a man who pretended to be from a literal swamp in New Orleans. 
Um, but that's not the only uh, odd start to Dancing Queen. They called this song Boogaloo based on the on the rhythms, which obviously that term has gained a lot of negative connotations with the alt-right movement as of late, so we're not getting into that. But their influence from it came from Ringo Starr, uh, his hit Back Off Boogaloo, which, and this is just gets into six degrees of everybody in the 70s music industry, Back Off Boogaloo was inspired by a phrase of Mark Bolin of T-Rex. So in a roundabout way, you can thank Mark Bolin and T-Rex for Dancing Queen. Eventually, though, it was ABBA's manager, Stig Anderson, who came up with the title Dancing Queen, and he uh, actually collaborated on the lyrics with Bjorn. And while we're talking about the lyrics to Dancing Queen, there's a long-lost additional verse, kind of like the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, (laughs) There was a verse recorded for this and then discarded. They decided, probably with their, like, rigorous democratic workshopping process that led them to the name, they, we don't need this extra verse. But because we love you so much, here's the extra verse. Baby, baby, you're out of sight. Hey, you're looking all right tonight. When you come to the party, listen to the guys. They've got the look in their eyes. Let's pick that apart for a moment. Um, <laughs> well, so one of the things that's interesting about this song and knowing about this is when you read about Max Martin's approach to vocals, some of the reasons why those boy band hits are so asinine is that he thinks more in terms of phonemes and how like the actual strict sonic phonetic pronunciation of of lyrics like the sounds the words make in, yeah in late person's no notes. like no concept of how they actually scan as the written word and he's famous for also comping his vocal takes within an inch of his life because he's so interested comping meaning you're cutting up um specific chunks of each vocal take to stitch together one master take because he doesn't he's not interested in how lines and things like flow together. He's interested in how each sound it's almost percussive. comes across. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe it's something in the water over there. <laughs> All of which leads us to these lyrics are asinine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean they I mean, you could I don't know. They have they have a charm to them. They are also some of the most misheard lyrics mm-hmm. in in rock and pop history. There was a poll that was conducted in 2014 by Blinkbox concerning the most commonly misheard lyrics in pop, 22% of the people they polled admitted that they had mistaken the lyric, see that girl, watch that scene, dig in the dancing queen, for see that girl, watch her scream, kicking the dancing queen. Which is so bizarre. Were they American? Like, what what country grafted violence onto this beautiful song? And um, also, slightly less violent, but equally strange uh many also thought it was chicken the dancing queen (laughs) instead of digging the dancing queen which uh i don't know i can kind of understand that and then there was also dancing queen (laughs) feel the meat on the tangerine i i have nothing to say about that that is so that's the that was a scene that was cut from inga hey (laughs) (laughs) commercial break And having said all that, we'll be right back with more Too Much Information right after this. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. 
Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Bring along the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Well, you were mentioning the, the rigorous process that ABBA had for pretty much doing everything. Apparently, this song took six months to write. I mean, it makes sense to me. I Because ABBA also won Eurovision, right? And yeah. you think about how precision-controlled those songs have to be to make it through. Like, right. I mean, we're talking about a, song, a literal songwriting contest, right? So, I mean... You can say uh, you can say Dancing Queen is kind of square. You can, which I did. I will fight anyone. I mean, yeah, but that's the knock against it, right? But like these people really knew how to write a song. You know, Anderson is a real perfectionist and basically controlled every, this whole process with an iron fist to the point where the group's engineer Michael Tritow, he's their George Martin figure. He's the the fifth member of ABBA, which I guess would make it Abum. <laughs> Uh, he told Mojo in 1999 that basically Anderson would drive them so much that he felt like he was starving in the studio. He'd be almost fainting to the point where he would then say, okay, we have to take a break to eat. But Frida ended up saying that she came home, with that, that Benny came home with a tape of the backing, just the backing track, and played it for her. And she said, I thought it was so enormously beautiful that I started to cry. When the song was finally completed, it had a royal premiere, which was, I guess, fitting for a song, Dancing Queen. Yeah, just a few months before the U.S. uh, celebrated its centennial, Sweden had a much more important date, which was uh, June 19th, 1976, the wedding date for King Carl XVI, Gustav of Sweden, and Sylvia Sommerlath. A day before the wedding, a televised gala in their honor was held at the Royal Swedish Opera in Stockholm. ABBA was the only representative there of pop music. They were invited to appear and chose to perform Dancing Queen. And naturally, they had outfits for the occasion. Uh, they dressed up in... Which they could write off. Yeah, tax write-off and oil futures. <laughs> I wonder if they were paid in, like, Volvo stock for this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
they, you know, dressed up in these Baroque medieval outfits, which you should Google. Uh, they are truly something. So while we're talking about the highbrow pedigree of Dancing Queen, the majority of the band's promotional videos, which another thing they were really kind of on the vanguard of, music videos yeah. not a real This was pre-MTV by yeah. a couple years, yeah. So, but the majority of their promotional videos were directed by Swedish filmmaker uh, Lasse Holström, who you may recognize that name for having picked up multiple Oscar nominations for Best Director, for... My Life is a Dog, Cider House Rules. He also did What's Eating... Cider House Rules! Cider House Rules! Uh, he also did um, What's Eating Gilbert Grape and Chocolat. But got that one, Best Picture, right? Got to start with... Uh, nominated. But got his start with ABBA. He basically went... Oh, he directed a 1977 documentary on them. And once the group broke up in the early 80s... He was like, I'm going to go into movies instead with all of my training from ABBA. <laughs> and while we're talking about the success of Dancing Queen, let's take a look at the numbers behind it. Let's go to the charts. Dancing Queen was released in August of 1976, and by April 9th, 1977, it was number one. This was ABBA's only number one song on the Billboard Hot 100. Others came close, including Take a Chance on Me, which peaked at number three. This is a hugely influential song, not only to people struggling to get dancers on the floor at weddings and bar mitzvahs and <laughs> retirement parties, which is how I spent my early 20s in the summer, but also to a number of uh, very, very famous songwriters. Dancing Queen inspired the band Blondie. Chris Stein, of the, the band's main songwriters, said that the group's 1979 hit Dreaming is, in his words, pretty much a cop of Dancing Queen. Elvis Costello once admitted that he viewed Dancing Queen as mana from heaven, and he was inspired to write the opening to his hit Oliver's Army, those descending octave piano chords based on uh, Dancing Queen. And more recently, MGMT told the podcast Song Exploder that they purposely stuck to Dancing Queen's beats per minute tempo, 101 beats per minute, for their breakthrough hit Time to Pretend. Yeah, 90 to 110 is the sweet spot for dancing, I'm I, told. I did, I, you know, I'm a DJ, supposedly, and I did not <laughs> know that. Uh, and I'm allegedly DJing your wedding, so I should probably get on that. <laughs> ABBA, something I didn't realize was that ABBA were very, very strict about who they allowed to sample their music. They allowed almost no one to. Uh, they only allowed Madonna to use a sample of their song Gimme 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 A Man After Midnight after she sent the band a personal letter and in the letter she very politely asked to use it and outlined her admiration for the band and her intentions with their music uh, the Fugees sampled their song The Name of the Game in their own track Rumble in the Jungle and uh, to this day the Fugees and Madonna are the only two artists to gain permission to sample the music of this formidable Swedish pop juggernaut the KLF were not as lucky. Mm -mm. They were. Tell us about the KLF. I don't even know how where to begin with those. Uh, well, they're one of you know the. They're kind of of the oak of New Order. They're very famous, extremely successful uh, British you know pop groups. Um, early '90s, a little later than New Order, I guess. The only song that I'd ever heard by them was "Justified and Ancient," which had um, which had Tammy Wynette on it. You may, it's like an early 90s song. Maybe you've heard of that song. And so they attempted in their first album, 1987, to sample Dancing Queen in a song called The Queen and I. And they took with them an NME journalist and a photographer, along with copies of the LP and a gold disc of the album. They went... <laughs> well, no, I guess we should say... This, they, whole, they, this they whole thing actually, is absurd. They, they, yeah. 
they took the song and they sampled it without permission. Right. And the record was released. It went gold. It did very well in, yes. in the UK. And ABBA, understandably, threatened to sue them. Mm -hmm. So to try to soothe the en enraged Swedish pop geniuses <laughs> who, who are no longer together at this point. Yeah. They, they, they traveled to Sweden with a music journalist and a photographer determined to find ABBA and present them with a copy of the gold record that they'd earned partially thanks to their songwriting that they sampled. Yeah. And, um, because the KLF are notorious trolls, um, they gave that gold disc after failing to find ABBA at Polar Studios in Stockholm they gave the gold disc to a blonde prostitute they pretended was Agnetha. Who was, in, in their words, fallen on hard times. Yeah. So, having not secured ABBA's permission and not wishing to be sued into oblivion, they apparently dumped all the original LP copies into uh, over a ferry in the North Sea. Mm -hmm. And the remainder were burned in a field before dawn. Yeah which was then photographed and used of the cover of their next album, Who Killed the Jams? KLF Notorious Firebugs. They did a performance art piece called The K Foundation Burn a Million Quid, in which they literally burned a million quid in a Scottish field. Quid uh, being a, a British slang for, for pounds. Yeah, it, it was basically most of their money at the time. <laughs> right. Um, and they made a coffee table book with with still images from burning a giant pile of a million pounds. But that's not even the craziest thing that happened to them on this trip. Yes, on this trip to Sweden, they apparently, having failed to, to locate ABBA, they set up a stereo outside of ABBA's record label and just played the song, The Queen and I, that samples Dancing Queen, at an uncomfortable volume. Purely, I guess, it seems like they're just trying to antagonize. They're not going to, I mean, this is the opposite of the Madonna approach. You wrote them a really polite letter. They're yeah. just trying to piss Abba off. It's kind of like Waco. <laughs> right? Where they were playing, they like, like blasting like, stuff at really high volume. Was it to... like Metallica and like chickens being decapitated yep. and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, on the way back to England, the band uh, hit and killed a moose <laughs> and were shot at by a farmer who shot at their uh, car. A Ford Galaxy. Right. A Ford Galaxy police car. Apparently they, they had a, an old ex-police car that was their main, um, their main transport. And the perfect capstone to this sequence of ignominious events, they were towed back to England. But while we're on the topic of police, did you know that the song Dancing Queen by ABBA was banned by the New York police in 2001. I mean, it's one of those things that uh, you wonder why exactly, and I guess it was, this is when the Mamma Mia musical was opening, and apparently one of the members of the cast said that the police had heard, and this is their quote, that the song could cause a euphoric frenzy in the crowd. Which, to be fair, having seen Mamma Mia several times on Broadway... It absolutely does. Yeah, so they were supposed to perform the music, a Dancing Queen, uh, at a concert in Times Square, free concert. So they had heard, apparently the NYPD, this is the performer again, apparently the NYPD had heard about this reaction, and they said, um, no, you can't, you can't do that. Is this like the town from Footloose? <laughs> like, Jesus. Yeah, that adds, I mean, there's definitely like a list of banned materials by the NYPD floating around out there, and apparently... <laughs> Dancing Queen's on it. But despite the NYPD not being a fan of Dancing Queen, you know who is? Queen Elizabeth, an actual Dancing Queen. She's actually been interviewed by the BBC, and the song was played at an event at Windsor Castle, and she said, I always try to dance when the song comes on, because I am the queen, and I like to dance. <laughs> Which... 
Truly a soundbite machine. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Her Majesty. And the uh, the other end of the spectrum, the Sex Pistols. Also, I guess you could kind of say that they were a fan. They played the song over the PA while they were setting up for their uh, 1996 reunion show in, in North London. And I guess to sort of remind the audience of how stale the music scene had gotten in the early 70s, mid-70s, before the Sex Pistols really broke through in 76, 77, they played all this, you know, what they thought was really cheesy 70s pop, Bay City Rollers and other, you know, corny pop staples. And when they got to ABBA's Dancing Queen, all of the old punks gathered together and started singing in unison. They were not going to sniff at Dancing Queen. They loved it. It brought them together. It's a truly incredible moment. And that they are, you know, a bunch of UK punks are hardly the hardly the only far afield fan of, of Dancing Queen. Um, believe it or not, of all people, John McCain named Dancing Queen as his favorite song. And this is in 2008 during his presidential campaign. A historian, Walter Isaacson, said, like, what in God's name are you thinking, essentially, in a, a later interview? And, um, and McCain kind of laid the smack down. Yeah, I mean... Put him in his place. John McCain being like, by the way, I was a POW. Yeah, he more or less said, yeah, this is his quote. I've got to say that a lot of my taste in music stopped about the time I impacted a surface-to-air missile with my own airplane and never caught up again. <laughs> Which is a pretty stunning way to put Isaacson in his place. Mic drop. Right, yeah. The late John McCain... Mega Abba Stan. An early frontrunner of poptimism, I suppose you could, you could tag <laughs> yes. him as. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more Too Much Information in just a moment. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. 
Who else was a big, uh, big Dancing Queen fan? But let me tell you, uh, James Hetfield of Metallica says it's the perfect soundtrack for family car rides. He's James not he- wrong. He's not wrong. He's a real family man. James Hetfield is. And uh, at some point, I like to imagine he sings along with it in the James Hetfield voice. So he's like, "Feel the beat of the tambourine." <laughs> That's the only that's that's the only singing portion of this podcast you're gonna get. But it costs extra. N- yeah, it costs extra. Not just the in oil futures. We have to pay Abba in uh iHeart stock. <laughs> not not the only member of the nineties aggressive music community who went to bat for Abba. Also Kurt Cobain. He frequently cited Abba as one of his favorite groups. He uh curated a lot of acts for the the Reading Festival in nineteen ninety two where where Nirvana famously performed. And uh, he was apparently really, really, really into the ABBA cover band that had been booked called, and this is incredible, <laughs> Bjorn Again. And he would just be standing on the side of the stage. And I guess he like looked up at, like photographers were there, like taking pictures of him watching this ABBA cover band. And he was like gesturing to the band saying, look, what do you think? <laughs> so Kurt Cobain hated everything, right. loved ABBA. <laughs> Perhaps James Hetfield and Kurt Cobain were actually behind the $1 billion offer that completely failed to get the band back together again. That is right. ABBA, uh, we should mention, broke up in 1980 after the two couples that ABBA consisted of split up. Uh, There were numerous attempts to reunite the band, including ridiculously huge offers that have been unseen since they tried to get the Beatles back together in the mid-70s. And one such offer was valued at a billion dollars. And it came from an unnamed American-British consortium that wanted to secure, to be fair, hundreds of new ABBA concerts. And uh, ABBA said no, because they they wanted like something like 250 shows. And they just thought, I mean, at this point, this was, I think, in the late 90s, and they mm. were in their 50s. And they said, no, we, 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 we sleep on beds of money. We don't yeah. need this. I mean, part of it, yeah, I, I guess that is the counter argument. I would say, what is 1 billion divided by 250 split four ways? It's still a lot of money. It's still an awful lot of money, <laughs> yes. I mean, we play, we are, we, uh, Alex, you and I are in a band together. Yeah. We play at bowling alleys for, for $40. For, Oh, that, uh, it was that much. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do an audit of. Uh, I'll pay you in stock. Yeah, or uh, or drink tickets. <laughs> yeah. Well, Abba, of course, did reunite in 2021, presumably for slightly less than a billion dollars. Although, knowing their canny financial team, I can't be sure of that. But there were several times prior to this where they almost, almost reunited, and one of these was in the 90s for Lion King. The Lion King. Pardon me. The Lion King. You know, in multiverse theory, there is a world in which uh, The Lion King was scored by ABBA. Tim Rice, uh, who ended up doing that, obviously, with Elton John, had already worked with Anderson and Uveas in a 1986 musical called Chess. But the rest of The Lion King's production team didn't go for it for whatever reason. Um, And it ultimately didn't matter because ABBA turned it down. We have enough money. Thank you. (laughs) Now, there have been many who sort of cited the sort of the, the, the darkness underneath the, the ABBA lyrics, the sort of the, the melancholy of Dancing Queen is that y- y- the, the singer is not the Dancing Queen. The singer is somebody watching the Dancing Queen, somebody younger than them who's having their moment in the sun. And the singer is remembering what it was like to, to be that that woman, to see that girl watch that scene, being the dancing queen. So there is kind of a darkness to it. And there is some darkness to the ABBA story. And one of the the, sort of the most 
puzzling and interesting dark elements of the Alba story is that Agnetha apparently dated her stalker after after divorcing Bjorn. She married again in 1990. This marriage ended in divorce in 1993. And in 1997, she started this relationship with her stalker. Uh, he was, a, I believe, a, a Dutch forklift driver who'd been <laughs> obsessed with her since his childhood. And sort of unsurprisingly, this relationship ended a few years later in 1999, although he continued to obsessively stalk Agnetha, and this led to a restraining order, and he is now barred from entering the country of Sweden. Uh, but there is a happy flip side to that. The other uh, female member of ABBA has a much happier ending. Yeah, Annie Friedlingstad had uh, really just one hell of a life. She initially thought that her father had been killed in the war, and... World War Two. World War Two. yeah. Uh, was basically only found out that he was still alive when she was 30. She was born, her mother was Nordic, her father was a German soldier, and so she was basically always told that he had died, and when her mother died at 21, uh, Linkstad was brought up by her grandmother in Sweden, and so she essentially believed that she was an orphan. Uh, and then in 1977, this German teen magazine called Bravo, basically pulling like Woodward Bernstein-style research, published a complete biography of her, including the names of her mother and father. And this is obviously pre-internet, so, you know, nobody, this kind of stuff could kind of fly under the radar. But her half-brother, Peter Hasse, eventually saw this and asked his father if he'd ever been stationed in Norway, Norway during the war. Basically, all of this ends up leading to Lingstad uh, meeting her half-brother for the first time, discovering her entire background. I mean, just imagine having your world rocked by, like, basically the German equivalent of, like, Tiger Beat. Like, that was where <laughs> this this appeared. I mean, I feel like that, that's something that really we need to emphasize. Like, yeah. that was how she found out. In the in the, in the, in the biop, the forthcoming, never, I mean, God, I hope it's forthcoming, biopic of ABBA. I, I hope David Fincher does it, and I hope it's like a Zodiac-style <laughs> montage of this German magazine, like, tirelessly combing through. Like Beautiful Mind style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, strings on the yep. chalkboard. But um, eventually, Annie Fried divorces Benny in 1981, and she decides to leave Sweden. And she lives in London first, and eventually she relocates to Switzerland to live with her new boyfriend, who is an actual prince named Heinrich Ruso. Of Rus. Of Rus. His ancestors were from the former sovereign house of Rus in Germany, who naturally lost power after the First World War, but retained their royal titles. So Prince Heinrich and Annie Fried married in 1992, and she actually became, she earned a full title of Princess Annie Fried Sini of Rus, Countess of Plauen, which is just, just shy of being an actual dancing queen. So close. Well, I think that is just about all there is to say about uh, Dancing Queen, wouldn't you say? I truly feel the beat of the tambourine. <laughs> do you? I hope you do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was everything you didn't know about Dancing Queen by ABBA. Thanks so much for joining us here on Too Much Information. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We'll see you next time. We'll see you. Information was a production of iHeartRadio. The show's executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The supervising producer is Mike Johns. The show was researched, written, and hosted by Jordan Runtog and Alex Heigl. With original music by Seth Applebaum and the Ghost Funk Orchestra. 
If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.